You're listening to Cleveland First Baptist Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Rick Dill. For more information, please visit clevelandfirstbaptistchurch.com. I hope that the words of the songs that we sang today sort of um, pricked your heart. Um, When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, it should be something that touches us. And I'm grateful for music that helps, helps us listen to God. You know, we're in a series now in which we're discussing and studying God's Word in relation to a church covenant. In that document that we hope to adopt as a church in a few weeks, we find this statement. In the spirit of this covenant with each other and as an expression of my commitment to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I as a member of Cleveland First Baptist do promise to faithfully participate in celebrating communion together with my church family. Today, we have the opportunity to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the way that gift uh, unites us as a body of Christ. Two weeks ago in the family meeting, we discussed the different aspects of the covenant, and there was a great deal of discussion about the frequency with which we take the Lord's Supper. Some came from backgrounds in which the Lord's Supper was celebrated every Sunday. Uh, Someone mentioned uh, a church that celebrated uh, just twice a year. Actually, the scripture leaves that open, really. We aren't given a specific instruction as to the frequency with which we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But in that discussion, the danger was pointed out that it is possible, it is possible for this celebration to become a kind of hollow bit of religion or ritual that has no no meaning. This, of course, could be said of anything we do. Certainly could be said of worship. It is true. There is a wrong way to take the Lord's Supper. That is, to go through the motions without taking time to consider the meaning of what we're doing. To take the bread and the cup without any self-examination and a recommitment of our lives to Christ. That is then really no communion at all. That is just a hollow ritual. Paul slapped the Corinthians in the face about this very practice. He, in the harshest kind of criticism, said, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go about with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and the others are drunk. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Now, to really 
understand what was going on here, you need to know that the Lord's Supper was taken each time the church gathered. And as they did, they also ate together, a meal together. And the Lord's Supper was uh, a part of that meal. Kind of potluck, I imagine. Just as the original Lord's Supper was also taken as part of a meal. We talked about that in Sunday school. Um, A Passover meal. The early church celebrated uh, the Lord's Supper as a part of a fellowship meal together. So the problem was that the Corinthians' hearts were not right with the Lord when they went to take the Lord's Supper, and they were just going through the motions. Actually, it meant nothing to them. And Paul ends this harsh reprimand against the Corinthians' behavior by saying this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Wow. So this is a very solemn warning for whom? For Christians, for the church. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, no matter how often we do it, it must lead us to rethink what Jesus actually did for us. And how what he did changes who I am. And in addition, we're instructed to look at the way we live and where we see that our lives don't line up with what Jesus told us to do. We're to repent and let Jesus cleanse us of that sin through his blood. So with that in mind, we want to do... Just that, we want to examine the Lord's Supper again before we take it and consider what it means. We want to read together the shortest record of the Lord's Supper that's found in the Gospel of Mark, and I put it on the screen so we can read it together. So just read with me, if you would. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So let's think about that. What does the bread actually mean? They were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take it, this is my body. You know the meaning of the word Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus? It is the city of bread. That's what the word actually means, the house of bread. Jesus, who was the bread of life, became a man in Bethlehem, the city of bread. That's not by accident, I'm quite sure. The incarnation, the moment when God became a part of the human race, it took place in the city of bread. In John 6, after Jesus had multiplied the fish and the loaves and fed 5,000 people with it, there was a discussion about bread that comes from God. And Jesus said this, 
For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. <laughs> you know, if I had somebody just uh, hand out every day, I don't have to work. This would be a great deal. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In all the world, and certainly in the Jewish world of Jesus' day, bread was a symbol. It was a symbol of life itself. Jesus had come to earth not to supply the bread of life, but to be the bread of life for us. He came to give his body, literally, as the sacrifice that would make eternal life, life in the very presence of God forever, possible for you and me. You know, God has always used symbols to remind his people of his presence. You know, every part of the tabernacle and then every part of the temple was a reminder of who God was. The Passover was a meal, the Passover that they were celebrating when the Lord's Supper was instituted. It was a meal designed around reminders. The bread was made without yeast as a symbol of the removal of sin. They ate a, a, a fruit dish that was to remind them of the mud that held the bricks together. The bitter herbs were to remind them of the bitterness of 400 years of slavery. They were to leave quickly from the Lord's Supper. Eat quickly and leave because they would leave that night very quickly. So it was no surprise that Jesus took bread and wine and used it as a symbol to remind his disciples of what he was about to do. You know, sin had long separated God and man. And that sin could not be overcome. Paul says the wages, that is what we deserve, what we earn, the wages of sin, what is it? Death. It is the loss of what? Life. That's what sin does. Jesus handed his disciples bread and said, this is my body. The bread was to be the symbol of, of Jesus' body that would bear the load of sin, that would give you life. And that body that died on the cross was then raised to new life, showing that God had power over death, our punishment for sin. And now today, the same body, now glorified, sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for his children. And there's more. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Jesus instructed his disciples to, when they meet together, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The church is what? The body of Christ. It is not accidental that Jesus called his, his people the body of Christ. When we celebrate 
this great sacrifice, we do so together. You don't ever go home and celebrate the Lord's Supper just between you and Him. You do it as His church with brothers and sisters, others who have been saved through that great sacrifice. We remember together what Jesus did. When we take the bread, we partake in the life of Christ. But you know what we also do? We share the common life that God has given us as a family through that sacrifice. For it is through the giving of His body and His blood that you and I became brothers and sisters. For we were adopted by the same Father. What a wonderful gift. And each time we take that bread, we're making a statement. We're saying to the world, I have truly received the life that comes only from Jesus and from his body broken for me. And I invite anyone who desires that life to join with us in eternity with God. So what does the cup mean? Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant. The other gospel writers say the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus was... Um, certainly relating himself to one of the great messianic passages in the Old Testament. We looked at it in Sunday school. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. He's talking about the Messiah. Because he poured out his life, this written hundreds of years before Jesus' life and death, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, the sinners. He hung on the cross between two thieves. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So Jesus made a new covenant with his people. And it was not sealed with the blood of an animal sacrifice, but with his own blood. The symbol of the cup is used because it can be poured out. And what color is the wine? It is red, the color of blood. The sacrifice was made for whom? Everyone? No, not for everyone. It was made for many. So that reminds us of two things. The many are all of those, and there are many of us who have placed our trust in Jesus and his sacrifice. Many have been saved because of what Jesus did. But many also means not all, for not everyone believes. The sacrifice on the cross makes a new covenant with those who've given their lives to Jesus. The new covenant stands in sharp contrast, of course, to the old covenant made between God and his people on Mount Sinai. There they heard 
the law of God. They saw it written down and they ratified it by saying multiple times, all the Lord says we will do. But you know what? They didn't do it. They did not do all the Lord said. But God, in His loving mercy, allowed the punishment required by their sin to be borne by an animal without blemish until the time He would come and be the ultimate sacrifice Himself. So the new covenant is not made with our promise about what we will do instead. It is ratified with a promise to make Jesus Lord of our lives as we trust completely in what he did on the cross. But the bread and the cup, they do make a demand on us. What would that be? Jesus said in John 6, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. You know, I don't know about you, but that passage gets under my skin. I I don't like to read that passage. And you know, theologians, they have a word for this, a few passages. This is one of them, and they call it the hard sayings of Jesus. If you hear nothing else today that I say, I want you to remember what I say about this passage. Jesus was saying that putting your trust in him is to take him into your life in a way that is as real as the food you eat and the drink you take. You know, food is not indispensable. If you could say, I'm just going to live without eating, and who would want to? But if you could, you couldn't. Instead, it would mean your own death. Food is indispensable. And if you want to have real life, Jesus is indispensable. He must become a part of the very fabric of who you are, affecting every part of you, what you do, what you say, what you think. Jesus is to be the one who gives you the strength you need to live for him. Just as food gives you the strength, the physical strength, to go from day to day. Jesus says plainly, if you take me, as you do food for the body, if you take me for the spirit, you will live eternally. Because I am the bread of life. And if you do not, you will die. Not just physically, but eternally. Patty Moon told me a couple of weeks. Ooh, shocked you, didn't it, Patty? (laughs) 
He told me, she, uh-oh, she told me a couple of weeks ago about an illness in which a person can eat, can digest the food so that it is actually goes through and is passed out just like normal. But there is a disorder that prohibits the body from absorbing the nutrients necessary for life. Slowly, eating all the time the person starves to death. You know, there is a very similar spiritual disorder that plagues many people today. They do religious things all the time. They go to worship. They take the Lord's Supper. But they do not allow Jesus to come into their lives and be a part of who they are. They do not eat the flesh and the blood of the Savior. All they do is practice religion. They do not know Jesus. And it's a slow spiritual death. But it is permanent. Jesus demanded... That his followers make him what? Lord of all. A part of the very fabric of their everyday lives. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, please remember these things. You do so remembering that he is the bread of life. He is the one and the only one who gives you spiritual life. And remember that you promise in following Him to make Him what? One of the many things in your life that you do? No, to make you, to make Him Lord of all that you are. And you take the Lord's Supper acknowledging that you belong to His people. And that together we live as the body of Christ in this place to glorify Him. Now before we take the Lord's Supper together, Paul warns us to do so as we examine our hearts. So I'd like to give us an opportunity just to have a moment of quiet prayer. And I want you to look inside. Don't look around. Don't look around at the person to the right and the person to the left. Look inside. And ask yourself, have I taken Jesus in? Or is it just some sort of external rite that I perform? And come to Him. Allow Him to be a part of who you are.